0: Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to episode 222 of the Astrology Podcast. Joining me today is Lisa Scheim. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Chris. And so, we're going to be doing in this episode, this is actually a recording of a meeting of our local astrology group here in Denver, Colorado, USA, called the Denver Astrology Group. And last Saturday, we actually organized a meeting where we did live chart readings from an audience. Where we applied the annual perfections timing technique and sort of outlined some of the basic principles of the technique, and then took examples from the audience when the audience members felt comfortable sharing different examples from their lives that showed how the technique worked out in practice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And always taking from a live audience is a little bit of a risk factor, but we came up actually with lots of great examples. So if you're interested in the annual perfection timing technique, this is a really great illustration of um, what that can look like in people's charts.
0: Yeah. So this is a follow-up to a previous episode of the podcast, which is episode 153 on annual perfections. So if you go to the astrology podcast website uh, at theastrologypodcast.com and scroll down to the episodes page or go to the episodes page and then scroll down to episode 153, you'll find my previous episode on this, which is just a lecture on the annual perfections timing technique where I present the basic concept of the technique and then I present a bunch of example charts using some past client charts or celebrity chart examples from my personal files. So that's more of like an abstract presentation of the technique. And the purpose of this episode and of this meeting of the Denver Astrology Group was really to share some live examples because it's really when you talk to a person, who went through the experience of certain um, years of their life having certain parts of their chart activated that you really get a, a more, much more like a visceral understanding of the technique and how it actually works out.
2: Definitely. Yeah, so I think this is a really great um, example of that.
0: So this is I think the third time we've done this a few other times. Um, we've been doing it for a while because we've been leading the Denver astrology group for over 10 years now. But this is the third time we've actually recorded a meeting like this where we did Live chart readings from the audience. So the last one was episode 215, which is on eclipses and how to read transiting eclipses in your birth chart, which we did a couple of months ago. And then before that, earlier this year in episode 197, we did one on uh, Uranus's transit through Taurus and the sort of things that that's or changes that that's starting to reflect in people's lives at this time. So, this is a follow up to this, uh, to that. As always, with reading live chart examples, it's always kind of like a wild card thing. And I used to avoid doing it when I used to lead workshops, but I've become more confident and more comfortable with it in recent years just through experience because you can really get some good examples when you do that and you're able to have that dialogue with the audience because it actually replicates. The type of or it's the closest thing that you can get to replicating what almost happens in a consultation where you're able to talk to somebody about their life and actually dialogue about the events and circumstances of their life that are often very unique to the person and see how the unique chart placements play out in practice.
2: Definitely, yeah. And I think it's really valuable for other people to hear it too in a group setting like this. So I'm glad it's been working out so well and people have been bringing such good examples. And so hopefully um, you all listening to this will also get to kind of um, get the benefit of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, so like I said, this is sort of an extension of the previous lecture on perfections that I gave in episode 153, and there's a video and an audio version of that that's available. If you don't have any background in annual perfections, you might want to go back and watch that episode first. Because even though we do do some like basic introductory review about how annual perfections works, at the very beginning of this meeting or of this discussion, it's not a straightforward presentation that's as like refined as if I was normally trying to teach the technique abstractly from the very beginning.
2: Definitely. And as soon as we dove into the actual chart examples, we started, I noticed both of you both of us started uh, throwing in like rules that would have been introduced in a full lecture, but we were just sort of using on the fly.
0: Right. And the very first chart example, we started using more advanced principles that hadn't been introduced already yeah. in the basics. Yeah. And that first example we'll actually have, we'll come back to at the end of the this, we'll record a little follow-up because there's a funny story about that one of like an addendum that we have to add to the very first chart example.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so I think that's it in terms of introductory stuff. So uh, let's go ahead and get into the recording from this meeting of the Denver Astrology Group. The meeting took place on Saturday, September 14th, 2019. Just after 3 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. And I was meant to mention that if you're ever, if you live in Denver or you live in Colorado, or if you're ever passing through, uh, we always host our meetings downtown on the second Saturday of each month, usually from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Mercury Cafe in downtown Denver. So just do a search for Denver Astrology Group and you'll find our page on meetup.com in order to sign up for the group and get more information. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All right. Well, I guess that's it. So let's get straight to the uh, meeting recording. All right, let's go ahead and get started. So welcome, everybody, to the September 2019 meeting of the Denver Astrology Group. Uh, If this is your first meeting, we always meet on the second Saturday of each month here at the Mercury Cafe in downtown Denver. Sometimes we schedule meetings kind of late because we like to catch speakers who may be coming through from out of town. We almost caught Maurice Fernandez uh, this time, but unfortunately he wasn't able to make it. Uh, Next month, uh, who's our speaker?
2: Leia Samuels.
0: Yeah. So a local astrologer named Leah Samuels, and she's giving a talk on the dark moon Lilith uh, for the first time for the Denver Astrology Group. So that should be a really great meeting in October. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about a timing technique known as annual perfections. And we're going to talk a little bit about the theory of the technique. But mostly what we're going to do today is we're going to hopefully have some interaction with the audience and take chart examples. Whereas we're teaching you the technique, we want you to start applying it to your chart Uh, In your head as we're going through the basic principles. And in many instances, you'll probably start to see the technique work out right away in your own chronology. And if you feel like it, we'd like you to um, come up and actually share your chart. If you have a good example from your past history that you feel is a good um, sort of exemplification of the technique. So uh, this meeting is being recorded uh, both in the audio and video, and we may release this as a podcast episode on YouTube at some point in the future. So if anybody does share their data, you just have to be comfortable putting it out there publicly and just know that it may be posted on YouTube after the meeting is over. We've done this a couple of times so far with the Denver Astrology Group. The last time we did it was in July with a meeting on eclipses, where we went through the 12 houses and showed how eclipses work out when they fall in each house in the chart. And then different people shared stories about how that's worked out in their personal lives. Uh, before that, we also did a meeting on the ingress of Uranus into Taurus and talked about how that goes into, should go theoretically in different people's lives and took some examples from the audience to show how it actually worked out. So we're gonna continue that sort of tradition here today with a new technique known as annual perfections. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, I'm Chris Brennan and joining me is Lisa Scheim who's going to be helping to lead the meeting. Hello. And so, I've been studying astrology for 20 years actually starting in the summer of 1999. So, this is kind of like my 20-year anniversary of of learning astrology. Uh, How long have you been studying
2: it? About 15 years.
0: 15. Okay. Uh, And we've both been using this technique for more than a decade at this point and it's definitely one of our core timing techniques. Um, but it's actually a relatively recent technique that's only been recovered over the course of the past 10 or 20 years or so from translations of ancient Greek texts from about 2,000 years ago. So in ancient Greek and Roman astrology, they had these timing techniques that they referred to as Time Lord techniques or Time Lord systems. And the basic premise of the Time Lord systems is that you have your basic birth chart, And the birth chart represents a set of promises for different parts of your life of different potentialities or different potentials that will manifest at some point during the course of your life. But not all parts of the birth chart are activated at all times, but instead some parts of the chart are laying dormant until those parts of the chart are activated by certain timing techniques, at which point the natal potential of those placements will become awakened. So there's probably a much simpler way of saying that, which is just like not everything that's going to happen in your life is happening at all times, but instead there's certain events that will happen in your life at certain fixed periods. And in order to know when that will happen, you have to have access to some of these Time Lord techniques, which are designed to tell you when the natal promise will become manifested in a person's life.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the other basic premises underlying what Chris just mentioned is that We're not looking at the chart as merely your um, internal psychological tendencies, but it's also showing concrete areas of your life and either specific events that may happen at some point in those areas of life, or at least tendencies with either internal or external within those areas. And so that's part of the reason why these things aren't active at all times, because it's not only due to your psychology, but it's actually looking at your entire life.
0: Right. So what are? let's think of brainstorm then. What are some like one-time events that maybe only happen at certain specific points in your life? Like let's say getting married. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's like getting married every year of their life, but instead mm-hmm. you may only get married once or let's say two or three times in your life,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, depending on how things go.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, right.
2: But definitely not every year.
0: <laughs> sure. Hopefully <Yeah>. not every year. <laughs> yeah. What are some other one-time events?
2: Um, like injuries or illnesses can okay. be like a one-off thing.
0: Okay. Winning the lottery Landing like your dream job, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe getting elected like the head of an organization Mm -hmm. or buying a new home, Mm -hmm. Uh, having a child. So, there's lots of one time events that are just like things that might happen once or maybe just a few times in your life. And those are the types of discrete events that we're going to focus on today. So, as you think about your past chronology, try to think about some of the one time events that are unique in your life that have occurred in specific years and think about how old you were during those specific years of your life. Like if you were 30 years old when you got married or you were 45 years old when you bought a house or what have you, try to um, associate what specific year of your life those events happened in. The other thing is sometimes when people are thinking about their lives, they have an issue with taking for granted that events that have happened in their life happen for everybody when in fact, there's a lot of certain types of events that are very highly specific or very highly unique to your own life. And so it's important when you're thinking about your past chronology, not just to assume that the same thing has happened to everybody else, but to recognize the uniqueness of your own life and your own chronology and the sequence in which things happened in your life at certain ages. Mm -hmm. So don't take too much for granted. All right, so um, let's jump right into the technique. So annual perfections is really simple. All you have to do is identify your rising sign, which is the sign that your Ascendant is located in. And whatever sign that is, that sign of the zodiac is activated for the first year of your life. So from the the day that you're born until your first birthday, your rising sign is activated. And then what happens is that when you reach your first birthday and you turn one year old, Uh, it then jumps to the second sign downwards in the chart, and that sign becomes activated for the second year of your life. And then that sign is activated for that entire year. And once that year is up and you reach your next birthday, then it moves to the next sign in zodiacal order, the third sign from the rising sign, and that sign becomes activated for one year of your life. So let's imagine there's a person who had uh, their ascendant in Cancer, so Cancer was their rising sign. So that means for the first year of their life, the sign Cancer was activated, and the Time Lord for the first year of that person's life would be the planet that rules the sign of Cancer, which is the Moon. So because the Moon is the ruler of Cancer, that means the Moon is activated or is awakened as the Time Lord for that first year of the person's life. Mm-hmm. So everybody should think about what your rising sign is and just imagine that for the first year of your life, that sign and the ruler of that sign were activated for that first year of your life. Then once that first year is up, it would jump to the second sign in zodiacal order. So in our chart example with Cancer rising, it would jump to Leo for the next year of the person's life. And the ruler of Leo, which is the sun, would be activated as the time lord for that year for that entire 12 months. Then once that 12 months is up, it would jump to the next sign which is Virgo and Mercury, the ruler of Virgo would be activated for the third year of the person's life and so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, so basically um, the thing that sometimes trips people up is you start with a zero for the first house for the first year of your life and we're used to thinking of 12 houses and therefore counting in 12s. Um, You just have to remember that it starts with a zero at the beginning, and so they're all kind of one off of what you would expect otherwise. Because you were zero years old in the first year of your life, but people don't usually refer to it that way.
0: Right. So um, it just keeps jumping one sign per year, and eventually after at 12 years old, after 12 years, it comes back to the rising sign, and the sequence repeats itself over again. So you know, you will always know that every 12 years, it will come back to the rising sign. So at 12 years old, it's again, if you have cancer rising, then cancer will again be activated for that year of your life as the ruler of the year.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And you can use that as a simple technique to keep counting around. So just counting in 12s every 12 years, it'll go back to the ascendant to the first house and the, the ruler of the first house. So you can count to the closest 12s to your age. And that's a shortcut to figuring out what year you're in.
0: Right. So it always comes back to the first house at 12 years old, at 24 years old, 36 years old, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So in order to simplify this though, and so you can calculate perfections easily, we've given you a worksheet as one of the handouts. And if you're watching the recording and you don't have the worksheet, then you can download it at hellenisticastrology.com slash perfections-wheel.pdf. So the worksheet basically just shows you the 12 houses on the inside wheel, and then it shows the different ages on the wheels going outwards from there. So all you have to do is on the outer wheels, look up your age, like how old you are in this, let's say your current year. And then that will tell you what house will be activated in that year. So for example, if you're 30 years old, then you look on the inside wheel and you'll see that you're in a seventh house perfection year and the seventh house will be activated. If you're, um, let's say, 45 years old, then the 10th house is activated. If you're 64 years old, then the fifth house is activated and so on and so forth. So that means that there's certain years where we always know if a person is a certain um, age that a specific house will be activated. So for example, everybody who turns 30 years old will be in a seventh house perfection year, or everybody who is 22 years old will be in an 11th house perfection year, and so on and so forth. So even though that's the same for everybody in terms of those specific years of life, the birth chart is what's different. And since the birth chart is what holds the natal promise when different houses are activated in different people's lives, that's going to mean different things. So one person might have a 10th house perfection year where they suddenly get an amazing job and find great career success. If let's say they have like Jupiter or Venus in the 10th house. However, another person, if they have more difficult placements in the 10th house, might get fired from a job or might experience some sort of career setback in that year. So even though two people going into a 10th house perfection year might generally experience the um, area of career as being more important in that 12-month period, they're going to have much different uh, qualitative experiences of that 12-month period of life. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the specifics will be different, but it is really unique that it's one of the very few things in astrology where you can know something about what's going on in the person's chart just based on how old they are. There aren't too many things like that in astrology. Usually everything is very individualized. So that's kind of cool because that's something you can know even without a birth chart or or date. Right.
0: How many people already are familiar with annual perfections at this point before coming to this meeting? Okay. Maybe half the room. Okay, good. So I've given you not just one worksheet, but a second worksheet that makes it a little bit easier. Uh, Sometimes if you're more used to working with like tables and columns to calculate what your perfections are in a given year. All you have to do is identify your rising sign in the first row and then identify your age over in the left column and then find the intersection between those two to find what sign is currently activated for you in a given year. So this um, worksheet is also available at hellenisticastrology.com slash perfections-worksheet.pdf. All right, so other preliminary stuff. For the purpose of this discussion, we're going to be using the traditional rulership scheme, which assigns all of the seven traditional planets or visible planetary bodies to one of the 12 signs. And the big difference compared to the modern rulerships is that in this traditional scheme, Uh, Mars rules Scorpio, Saturn rules Aquarius, and Jupiter rules Pisces. So even if you don't normally use the traditional rulerships, we'd recommend for the purpose of this technique that you might want to try using them because you might find them to be a little bit more effective because that was the scheme that was originally used when this technique was first invented. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we're going to be using is whole sign houses. How many people are already familiar with whole sign houses as an approach to house division? Okay, maybe half the people. So All you do to calculate whole sign houses is identify the sign that the ascendant is located in, and whatever sign that is becomes the first house, and then the sign after that becomes the second house, and the sign after that becomes the third house, and so on and so forth. So it's a really simple approach to house division, but it was also the approach that was used when this technique was first developed, so it tends to be a little bit more effective when you're applying perfections in practice. Um, So even if you don't normally use it, uh, you might try entertaining it for the purpose of learning this technique. All right. So um, let's talk about our first interpretive principle. And the first interpretive principle we've already touched on, but it's basically the idea that when you calculate your annual perfections, let's say you've determined your current age as of your last birthday and that you're 30 years old or 44 years old or what have you. Once you do that, you want to see what house the perfection has come to and whatever house that is you should expect that some of the topics associated with that house will become activated or will become more prominent in your life in some way during the course of that year so for example if it comes to the second house then financial matters may become more prominent for you in that year if the perfection comes to the seventh house then relationships may become more prominent in some way in that year Uh, 10th house is career, and so on and so forth,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, and we'll get to the differences in how that can play out, but basically it will pretty much always activate at least one theme of that house. Every house has multiple themes that could be relevant to it, so it's not the case that it will definitely activate all of the possible themes in a house for your year of life, but at least one of them. And the other thing I often like to say about this is, You know, sometimes, because like we were mentioning earlier, you're not going to have like a major event happen every single year of your life, hopefully, (laughs) Um, you know, that would be kind of eventful. Um, So because of that, sometimes the themes are activated in sort of more low key ways and sometimes in an actual event or something more overt or external. Um, But sometimes they can be more like things that are just going on more than usual in the background of your life that year. Right.
0: Right. And then another point is that obviously since the technique, since there's only 12 signs and you're counting through one sign each year, every 12 years, there's going to be repetition where it comes back to the same house. And this is actually one of the more interesting parts of the technique because sometimes at those points, you'll see repetitions in your life of the same topic coming up over and over again, but in slightly different ways. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there can be In a 12-year period when the perfection repeats itself, sometimes there can be an exact repetition of events where you had one experience in one area of your life during one perfection year where it activated a certain house. And then 12 years later, when it comes back to that house, you can sometimes see a repetition of very similar events. Mm Um, Other times it's not an exact repetition, but there's just some sort of formal similarity between the topics that came up in one year and the topics that came up uh, 12 years later so that you see a variation of the same topic in some
1: way.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have one that I like to share that is pretty low key, but it's kind of like a good example of like I had a third house perfection year. And um, my sister and I were suddenly living in the same area for that year. And so for the entirety of that year, we just talked a lot more than usual and like hung out a lot more than usual. So it's not necessarily that like a major event had to happen around siblings, which will be a third house topic. But we just, you know, that year compared to the other 11 years around it, we talked a lot more. And then 12 years later, within a couple weeks of me switching into the third house year, my sister um, messaged me and said she was gonna get married later in the year. And so we ended up just like chatting more than usual again, that entirety of that year leading up to planning the wedding. So it's that kind of thing that can repeat like that. It wasn't the same specifics, but you can see the theme repeat.
0: Right. Or what were some of the other examples that were used in your lecture? I mean, one of the famous ones that we used that I really liked was like Hillary Clinton's chart where every year in her life when she would go into a 10th house perfection year for career, she would become very prominent, but she would also sometimes run into major difficulties with her um, reputation and her public profile. Mm-hmm. So one of the years was back when Bill Clinton became president in mm-hmm. like 1992
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she became more prominent and became first lady, but also started trying to head up um getting universal health care and subsequently ran into major problems during the course of that 12-month period as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And then um, a couple of repetitions later, it came back to her 10th house perfection year in 2016. And she became very prominent when she became the Democratic frontrunner, the mm-hmm. nominee for the Democratic Party, but then subsequently lost the presidential election in that year.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. So a lot of similar dynamics happened in those repetitions of her 10th house years where she would become really prominent, but also would have like a lot of attacks against her and things like that. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So a lot of what we want to focus on in the workshop is examples like that where start thinking of the perfections in different years of your life and what house was activated. And if anybody has any good examples of that to share, then during the course of this, we'd like to, to collect some of those. But first, let's do a few example charts just to really demonstrate the technique and demonstrate how it's supposed to work and what we're talking about. So did we give a handout for the significations? Yeah, this,
2: this should be the third page of your handout, if you have handouts in front of you.
0: So the third page of the handout is just a table that lists some of the basic significations of the 12 houses so that you know from a traditional standpoint what types of topics might be expected to come up in certain perfection years, And then you can sort of calculate in your head different perfection years in your past and see if those topics did in fact come up in those years. Mm -hmm. So this is following a more traditional approach. So some of the significations of certain houses are extremely positive and some of the more challenging houses are extremely negative. So that doesn't necessarily mean that when you go into a difficult perfection year that it's always gonna be the worst case scenario, but it just gives you an idea of some of the potential challenges that could come up in certain years. Mm
2: -hmm. And this is also not an list if you're new to looking at house significations. Um, there are other themes that in addition to these, but these are some of the main ones.
0: And that's one of the things that we really want to draw out in the chart examples, if anybody has any good ones to share today, is just it's one thing to see abstractly the idea that the, the signification of career should come up in a 10th house perfection year. So it's one thing to know that abstractly, and it's another thing to hear a person who's lived through a 10th house perfection year talk about and describe what's been going on for the past 12 months in that specific year for them when it comes to their career and the different, let's say, ups or downs that they've experienced. And sometimes that's something that only comes out during the course of like a consultation setting when you're reading somebody's chart, but it's also something that in the past we've been able to draw out and see glimpses of in meetings like this by sharing chart examples with each other. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's do our first chart example. So this is one of my favorites. This is uh, the birth chart of Lisa Marie Presley, who's the daughter of Elvis Presley. And this was a famous second house perfection that I found from when she turned 25 years old, which is a second house year. So uh, like I said, she was the daughter of Elvis, the famous singer Elvis, uh, but he died when she was nine years old. And he actually left... Uh, in his will, his entire estate was supposed to go to her, his, uh, I think, only living daughter, only living child. Uh, However, he stipulated that she was not to inherit the entire estate until she turned 25 years old. So if you do the perfections, of course, she has Leo rising. So we know that the first year of her life, uh, Leo is activated and the first house is activated for the first 12 months of her life. Then it moves to the second house to Virgo for the second year of her life. Then it goes to Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, and it just counts through each of the signs, one sign per year. Eventually, at 12 years old, it came back to Leo and started the cycle over again. Then at 13, it went to Virgo. At 14, it went to Libra. And it just kept going around until eventually at 24, it started the cycle over again a second time at Leo and then at 25 years old, it went to Virgo and activated her second house for that entire 12 month period of her life. So basically, she started a second house perfection year the day that she turned 25 years old. And in her actual life, on the very day that she turned 25, based on the will that her father left her, she inherited his entire estate and suddenly had access to it, which was estimated to be worth uh, over a hundred million dollars. So, looking at her chart, you know that's different compared to not everybody that turns 25 years old obviously inherits a hundred million dollars. So, what is the difference between? let's say some random person's chart versus her chart, or what does she have going for her in her chart that might indicate that the activation of her second house could be a positive year for her in terms of finances? The part of fortune? Okay, so somebody said the part of fortune's in the second house. That's a good point. Jupiter, yeah, that's major. So Jupiter is in the second house in her birth chart. It's actually also made more positive because it's a day chart, so Jupiter is more positive for people who are born during the day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so we're going to be looking at the ruler of the house and planets placed in the house.
0: Yeah, so our, our initial primary consideration and initial modifying factor is just what planets are placed in the, the sign or in the house that the perfection has come to, because that's going to modify the quality of the year for better or worse. So if it comes to the second house and you have positive planets there, then in most instances and other factors aside, you might experience more positive or subjectively positive Mm -hmm. events with respect to the topics associated with that house. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's some other factors though, there's one other factor in this chart that actually describes the context in which the year went though, uh, and that's the ruler of the second house Mercury, which is activated as the time lord for the year. Uh, And what house is Mercury placed in in the chart? In the eighth house. Mm -hmm. So, what's the eighth house associated with?
1: Death, Death
0: mortality, and inheritance, and also other people's money or other people's finances. Mm -hmm. So, the second house is like your finances or money or possessions that belong to you, whereas the eighth house is money or financial matters that belong to other people. So, that gets really interesting because that starts to further specify the more and more you go into the details, the specific context of how that year in her life worked out for her, which is that she had a very positive financial windfall with Jupiter in her second house, and it was connected to an inheritance from her father who had passed away years earlier. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I think that's impressive enough on its own. Um, We would also be applying, you know, that that's kind of the basics of what we'd be looking at today. We'd also be applying any other rules um, with regard to the chart. So, for instance, if anyone's curious in this particular chart, her Mercury ruling the second house of finances in the eighth house of inheritance is actually in a mutual reception with that Jupiter in the second house of finances. So Mercury is ruling Jupiter and Jupiter is ruling Mercury. Um, And so that actually is one of the factors that makes it particularly stand out compared to like an average person.
0: Right. And Jupiter itself is actually traditionally the ruler of the eighth house of inheritance, and it's in her second house of finances, Mm -hmm. which just increases and magnifies the connection between the second house and the eighth house in her chart and explains why it's such an intense and particularly notable instance of somebody having a major inheritance instead of just some minor thing. There's other instances where somebody might have the second and eighth house connected, but it might be at a much lesser level, so that they mm-hmm. have somebody die who's close to them and they inherit like a thousand dollars versus a hundred million dollars.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. So those are the two of the primary interpretive principles that we're going to focus on today, which is what planets are in the sign that the perfection has come to, what are the topics associated with that house, and then secondarily, what is the ruler of that house doing and where is it located in the chart? So uh, another example, this is a third house perfection here. So this is the birth chart of Robert Kennedy, who was the brother of US President John F. Kennedy. So Robert Kennedy, he sadly turned 38 years old two days before his brother was assassinated, and 38 years old is a third house perfectioner. So basically, he switched into he has Taurus rising, and uh, he switched into a Cancer perfectioner, which is his third whole sign house, two days prior to that event and the third house, of course, is the primary house that's associated with siblings. So one of the questions you might have at this point is, why was it such a negative event that was associated with that in his life? Because it's not really explained by the planets in the house in this example, because he doesn't really have any planets there. He has the lot of fortune there, and he has the North Node in Cancer, But the quality of the outcome is actually more described by the condition of the ruler of the house in this chart. The ruler of his third house of siblings is the Moon, which is located at 28 degrees of Capricorn. And the next aspect, the applying aspect that the Moon is making, the very next aspect that it will make, is an out-of-sign square with Mars, so basically the ruler of his third house of siblings is applying to a square with Mars and Mars is also the most difficult planet in his chart because he was born with a day chart and Mars tends to be more challenging for people who are born during the day.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So do you have any comments about this one?
2: Yeah, um, no, I was just going to mention the sect like you just did, but um, you can see that Mars is also super angular as well. So that we kind of emphasize it further in his chart when it's activated. Right. Yeah, it's right on the descendant there.
0: So does anybody have any questions about this example or any questions in general up to this point about the technique? No, pretty straightforward. Okay. I want to mention just a few other examples just to really drive the point home of the different things that we want to be looking for as we think about our own lives and before we start sharing some examples from the audience. So this is an example of a client who... Turned 39 years old and he went into a fourth house perfection year. So, the general statement I made was something like, you know, there should be a greater focus on the home and living situation uh, during the course of this year. And what ended up happening is that later that year, his house caught on fire and burned the ground. So, that was a one time event. That wasn't necessarily, you know, his house wasn't on fire the entirety of the year. But there was this one major event where his house caught on fire and burned to the ground, and that was one of the most defining events of that year, certainly. And then it led to a whole period, of course, of not having a house and having to relocate somewhere else and all of the things associated with that. So there's some reasons for that in the birth chart, but actually one of the primary things that happened that helped to time the nature and the quality of the event is what happened is that Mars by transit, transiting Mars the day that his house caught on fire, it moved into his fourth house and it conjoined the degree of his IC at three degrees of Capricorn. So we can see his IC down there at three degrees of Capricorn in the chart. And what happens is if you tracked it in the ephemeris, Mars came in the sky exactly to three degrees of Capricorn the day that his house cut on fire. So this brings up one of the other interpretive principles for perfections, which is that when the perfection comes to a specific sign and activates that house, any transits that go through that house are also activated at that time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, transits through that house in particular, and also transits to or from the ruler. And that starts piling up a bunch of considerations that we won't get to fully look at today, probably um, during the meeting. But that's just something like a takeaway for you to remember looking at things later on as well, um, if you research past years of your lives, is you know, like Chris said, it's not necessarily something that's gonna be happening the whole year. But if you're timing specific events that might occur, um, you might look at when transits will go through the perfected house of the year, and also transits to or from the traditional ruler of the year. Right.
0: So this is one of the reasons, the variations in the transits, that's one of the reasons why there can be variations in the perfections in 12-year periods and not necessarily be an exact repetition every 12 years. Because even though the perfection will repeat the same houses every 12 years, and let's say, for example, in this perfection year, he came to a fourth house perfection year, and then 12 years later, he would have a repetition of the same fourth house perfection year, The transits are not going to be exactly the same every 12-year period, and that's what allows there to be some variation. So occasionally the transits, though, do repeat, and that can sometimes indicate a repetition of more specific events... But normally, especially with outer planet transits like Saturn, they're going to be different in 12 year increments. And sometimes you'll have really good transits in that 12 year period. And other times you'll have more challenging transits that happen in that 12 year period.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's another way to see um, like how notable that year might be with regard to the themes of that house is just how active um, the transits will be from that birthday to the next with regard to you know to and from the traditional ruler.
0: Right. So we could keep going through chart examples or we could try to take some at this point from the audience.
2: Um, why don't we see do, does anyone in the audience already um, is already thinking of any perfection examples that you've noticed for a particular age of your life? If you haven't, we we can still go through a couple more examples. But um, if you have. OK, it looks like one. <laughs> uh,
0: you, have two. one you have one in okay. the back. We have two. And so we're going to have uh, people come up to the microphone to share their story just so everybody can hear it and so we can also get it on the recording. You were a speaker last month.
3: Yes. What is Um, your name again? uh, Joseph Milnes.
0: Welcome. Thanks.
3: Um, So this year I'm in an Aries perfected year, seventh house. So Mars is the Time Lord, obviously. Mars in my chart rules um, Scorpio and rules Aries. Uh, my money house and my, you know, relationships house. And do you mind sharing yeah. your birth date actually? Yeah. Uh, January 25th, 1989, PM, Denver.
0: And is your ascendant Libra? T- 21 Libra? Yep.
3: All right. There it is. All right. So. And so how old are you?
0: I am 30. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about this year of your life. Yes. And you're in a 7th house perfection here.
3: Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, as you can see in my chart, my Mars is square, my natal Mercury. And so at the onset of my Mars return, which happened around February 10th-ish, um, that that given week, um, I got into uh, a total lost car accident uh, when the Moon joined up with Mars and Uranus right there, pretty close to uh, the, the Mars return. So just about before the Mars return the car accident begun and it left me upside down on the vehicle and it was a financed vehicle I only had for six years. So, you know, agreements really, you know, the, my relationship is a financial agreement with the car company. Okay. So I was left upside down on that vehicle. And then, um, in July, well, late, late June, I purchased another vehicle. And at the onset of the Mars waxing square to the natal Mars, uh, I got in another total loss vehicle accident Wow. and at least that vehicle was protected, uh, with gap, but, um, it left me with a scar on my wrist, okay. um, a little bit of injury. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, I, I'm going to lay low on purchasing a vehicle at the Mars opposition. <laughs> sure.
0: So both of those were not just like a physical injury in having a car accident, but also you were, you lost basically a bunch of money in both instances financially. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, the legal matters involved with it with having the insurance company involved because mercury is involved. So mercury rules cars, but also rules my ninth house. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of where the insurance companies have been really involved Mm and you know, with, with dealing with the vehicle and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so, I'm going to lay a little uncautious on buying a vehicle until the next perfected cycle Mm -hmm. (laughs) when Venus is time Lord. So that's
2: that's really notable that, you know, your um, time Lord is in the eighth house and if people aren't, aware of the eighth house compared to the second house, the second house is more of your direct income and possessions and sort of like basic finances. But the eighth is often like loss of finances or debts or money you owe. So if you have a finance vehicle, that would be like an eighth house thing. And that's where your Mars is.
3: Yeah, yeah. And so the only good aspect that's happened with the Mars transits is um, just recently I had the Mars waxing trine to the natal Mars and uh that involved with uh contract payments and um uh tax refunds all coming in all at once during that 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 week cycle that that aspect had begun mm-hmm. and um you know it made for a good vacation but <laughs> so you know so far it you know the it's about like um the relationships are like not so much you know love relationships as they are like business or professional relationships that are kind of like you know, they're agreements of some kind, if that makes sense. So, contracts. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: well, and it's interesting because it's not just that. So, so Aries is activated, and Mars becomes the ruler of the year, and Mars is located in the eighth house of um, other people's finances and money that is owed. But Mars in the birth chart is also the ruler of the second house traditionally, which is your mm-hmm. own finances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's tied in in two different ways to financial matters in your life by being placed in the eighth house. Mm-hmm and being the ruler of the second house, um, and that seems to be one of the reasons why it's really activating those topics of financial matters at that time. And then secondarily, because it's Mars almost exactly square Mercury, and Mercury is actually retrograde natally in the birth chart at three degrees of Aquarius, that could be where, where some of the like mishaps involving driving or transportation is coming into play.
3: Yeah. And exactly 12 years prior, in 2007, uh, it was my first ever car accident. I got rear ended.
2: <laughs> I was going to actually ask if you'd ever had that before in the prior year. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because of course, Mercury is the general significator of, of transportation, but um, the ruler of the third can also be because it's like short distance travel, which is like driving around town. And that is ruled by Jupiter in your chart, and that's in the same sign with Mars. And so that kind of gets activated as well. We're clearly doing a complicated example here that's bouncing around a few. Houses, But um, uh, yeah, there's that piece. And Mars is almost exactly trying your Uranus too, bringing up those sudden happenings when Mars is activated.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I've been lucky to like, um, you know, not get totally injured or anything with the Mars trying Saturn mm-hmm. and also have like long lasting, you know, agreements or like, you know, being able to pay off the vehicle, you know, and mm-hmm. um, so yeah yeah it's just been a it's been a crazy Mars Mars cycle <laughs> sure
0: um, and it's also a night chart so Mars is uh, less malefic compared to how it could be so that mm-hmm. it's actually not the worst case scenario but instead the usual keyword for Mars in a night chart is like surmountable difficulties right. so it's like yeah. things that come up that are annoying or even sometimes like tra- traumatic but uh, it's the like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or at least it's not as bad as it could be it's not that you yeah. you didn't you know, obviously, like die in a car wreck, or you didn't right. um, get injured in a major way that you were able to walk away both times.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and that that that's uh, that's what I've been going through this year. Is just you know, the Mars transits have been the most notable peak times. Like transits to the natal Mars by other planets, which, you know, indicated better times of the year, like transits by Mars to other natal planets were also indicative of things. So I was able to expect, you know, financial things once it came to the Mars trine, I was just looking forward to that. Right,
0: (laughs) yeah, and that's great that the transits to the exact placement of the Lord of the Year are what really timed when the event occurred.
3: Yeah, exactly. So like I said, it was the Mars return and the Mars waxing square, then, you know, the easy time was the Mars Shrine. So, you know, I'm just going to try to do my best to not drive when uh, November rolls around. Sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That's a good right. example. Thanks yeah, for sharing thank that. Yep.
1: All
2: right. Someone else had a hand? Was there one here? Okay. Was there? Um, yeah, there's one over there, one over there, one over
4: here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go, Annie? Okay. <laughs> sure. Hi. So, hi, it's uh, um, Annie and it's at 101480. 1014,
0: 1980?
4: Yeah, 1980. It might not I'm out there because I'm kind of short. Sure. Uh, it's 239 p.m. in uh, Decatur, Illinois.
0: 1980?
4: Oh, yeah. 80, oh, yeah. Not 89, okay. I'm flattered. <laughs> That's all
0: right. Uh, just step a little bit closer. Oh, closer yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, just talk right into the mic. Okay, very good. Okay,
0: Is, do you have 29 Capricorn Rising? That's right, yeah. Perfect, okay. um,
4: So this was when I was 35, so 12th house year. Okay. And um, I was... Working as a waitress at a restaurant, and um, I was working outside a lot. And I start I developed this skin condition called Rosasia, and um, my skin would get really inflamed. And so people were constantly asking me if I was sunburned or if I had just gone skiing or you know if if I needed sunscreen. And so um, I realized. That I kind you know I kind of had an anger problem and it, I, I thought it was interesting too that it was like a skin thing which right. is like kind of the barrier between yourself and others and with the moon Neptune. But what I did is I decided that I was stopped. I was really tired of dealing with people and I didn't really like customer service anymore, so I quit. And um, what I did is I started uh, work at an art studio and I was cleaning the art studio and then eventually started uh, cleaning houses, mm-hmm. which allowed me many hours alone. And so I started listening to podcasts and that's when I started studying astrology was when I was able to listen to podcasts. And so I thought that was interesting that Jupiter, the ruler of the 12th house is in the ninth house with Venus and it's in Virgo with like the cleaning and learning and making things beautiful. So I was like, when I was looking at this, I was like, okay, that's a pretty perfect example with the anger and then like the poor boundaries. But then like it turned into something good where I could like learn and make money, but also... Learn stuff. so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. that's amazing. That's a great example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really okay, good example. So
0: let's break it down. Okay. So, um, you were thirty-five years old, so you went into a twelfth house perfection year. Um, what are some of the significations that we wrote down on the twelfth house handout?
2: Um, I don't know about the handout. The twelfth house often, twelfth house years often um, coincide with spending more time alone, mm-hmm. which you definitely mentioned.
0: Yeah, but the initial one was just um, the the illness that came on out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. which was really interesting to me because it was one of the fundamental things is it was like a redness. It caused a redness in your face. And red, of course, is the color of Mars. Um, And Mars is located in the 12th house in the birth chart. Uh, At one degree of Sagittarius. And we see the sun up in the 10th house in the top half of the chart. So we know that this is a day chart. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, Mars in a day chart, like we said earlier, is always the more difficult planet. So we tend to see some of the more challenging significations associated with Mars come to the forefront. So, Mars redness, Mars can also indicate like inflammation, Mm -hmm. um, burning, and things like that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So it's in the 12th house. And one of the primary topics associated with the 12th house can be. Illnesses or sickness. Um, So, right there, we have that initial thing where there's like an illness or a sickness that's like related to Mars that comes up in that perfection here. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. So, that's the first part. And then the second part is um, you had a feeling of like you were in a job, but you wanted to like not be as social or you wanted to pull away from that job cuz you said you didn't want to be around people or something.
4: Yeah, I just got tired of people asking me about my face and making comments mm-hmm. about it, so I kind of just like hid at home <laughs> in my little mountain cabin for a while. Yeah. And then yeah, and then got this other job, so.
0: That's a huge yeah. like the ideas of like isolation and wanting to be alone or sometimes needing to be alone, sometimes being forced to be isolated in some way are huge uh, 12th house topics and sometimes very common topics that come up in 12th house perfection
1: years.
2: Yeah, it's an incredibly common topic. Just the specifics differ as to like why you go to isolation and whether yeah. it's proactive or reactive. Yours sounds like a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then um, so yeah, 12th house years are very much times to pull back and be by yourself more often. And then we look at the ruler part, which you mentioned already, right? Jupiter is ruling um, your 12th house and is placed in the ninth house. Astrology is associated with the ninth house, of course, um, higher learning and so forth. Um, so that's great. And that's such an interesting combination too because if you're born during the day, then that Mars in the 12th house is the most challenging planet, but the Jupiter ruling it in the ninth um, is the most positive, all other factors being equal. So that's a really interesting sequence you have had of like pulling back and being alone because of the inflammation, but, but then that driving you towards like a positive ninth house topic. Yeah, that's yeah. cool.
0: Yeah. And sometimes that comes up where there's an old interpretive principle in the Hellenistic and Medieval traditions that planets in the house indicate the initial experience in the first part of the matter, whereas the condition of the ruler of the house indicates the outcome in the second part of the matter. Mm. So, in this case, it would have been very literal that in the first part of the year, it was more like running into the issues related to Mars, But later in the year, the outcome being more positive because of the condition of Jupiter, the ruler. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Were there any other points? I mean, the other one was moving that there was some Neptune stuff that was activated Mm -hmm. in terms of wanting to become more artistic or getting more into art that, that year.
4: Well, no. I mean, I was working at an art studio. I work with okay. artists, but I'm not, like, doing – it was mostly just, like, I think the poor boundaries or whatever, like, as far as, like, Neptunian, like, letting things in that maybe I shouldn't have and with the skin, you know, like, being, like, the boundary but not, not being able to, like – Keep the anger out or in, I guess. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah,
2: and that can be a pure, pure like physical thing when that's activated too. Is just your body being more permeable mm-hmm. and and reacting because of that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right, becoming more sensitive.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Thank um,
0: you. Yeah, that's a great example. Thanks yeah, for sharing thank that. You. Okay, so we did a that was a good twelfth house example and sort of showed how the topics of the house, but also the ruler, can come into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, did we have another example?
5: Yeah. That one? Hello. So Hi. I don't think I'm as knowledgeable, but from what I see, I'm in a what's second- What's a- uh, Valerie? I'm Valerie. And my Hi. birthday is March 14th. Uh, hold on a sec. March what? 14th,
2: 1982
5: what? at 2.28.
2: PM or AM?
5: PM. OK.
2: So- And what's... the location?
5: Oh, Wheat Ridge, Colorado.
0: All right. Um, Is your rising sign Leo? Yes. Okay.
5: So I thought it was interesting that I'm 37, so it shows that I'm in a second year perfection. Mm -hmm. And um, this September, every one of the uh, planets transited my second house and i just recently changed like i just decided to put out a resume and start a new job and i just got a new job and uranus just went into my 10th house and so that would just be kind of an example of that actually starting and being activated in my 37th year when the signs were going through my house so i thought that was cool and yeah. the ruler of that house is in my, it looks like it's supposed to be my eighth house, but it's actually like in my seventh house. Okay. So that's the part I don't know what that means or, sure. you know, and I'm interested in. What
2: kind of job did you get? Um,
5: as an esthetician.
2: Okay.
1: Okay.
5: And yeah. -hmm. So, from a real estate broker and a dancer, and I decided to start working as estheticians. I do all three, but that just came to the surface. Okay,
0: yeah, that's a perfect example because we just had that huge pileup of like, what was it, four four or five planets in in Virgo Virgo this month in September. And 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 I
5: hate filling out resumes. I don't know why I did. (laughs) Okay,
2: (laughs) yeah, Yeah, that's Um, a great example and and a really common, more like kind of average practical. thing that happens like mm-hmm. getting a job when planets are transiting the second when you're in a yep. second house year. Yeah, that's great. Yep.
6: That yeah. It. So
0: second house perfection year. So we would expect financial matters. Or how the person like makes their livelihood to be more prominent in that year, and then the timing of when the major event happens. So your birthday was way back in March, yeah. but it wasn't until we had this pileup of so many planets moving into Virgo in September that there was the real turning point.
5: Mm-hmm. I think that's what that's why I was like, wow, that's so interesting. That's what I got out of it. The only part I don't understand, I want to know more about, is the rulership. When you had explained like how does how does that affect it? The mm. Mercury. Rulership, um, where it's at and what it would mean in relation to this, so sure, I, that would be interesting to know more about. Yeah. yeah, since that's a piece I don't know yet. Yeah, right. yeah, it's kind of
0: complicated because since we also acknowledged that with your midheaven being at one degree of Taurus, that. Uranus having recently moved into that sign, and I think Uranus actually stationed recently yeah. mm-hmm. in, in what, like late August, late Mid-o- August, mid
1: August, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so in Taurus, that that's also like tied into this in terms of a sudden and relatively not completely unexpected, but a somewhat sudden change in terms of your career focus mm-hmm. and in terms of your overall like what you're doing for a career. That Uranus station in Taurus is playing a role as well, and the ruler of that is. You know Venus in Aquarius in the seventh house, so that's playing a role as well, and it's kind of complicating things here in terms mm-hmm. of how much that's um, part of what's going on or is playing a role versus what role Mercury might play in the eighth house this year as the lord of the year. I've also right. like
5: started all kinds of astrology classes. I've taken them for a long time, and I've taken like tarot and all that stuff. But that's like something that's just like one after another. That's been I've been doing more so this year too. So I don't know mm. how that came into play, but yeah, that's what mm. it, I thought that was interesting.
0: and Okay. I'd share. Yeah. Um, and so some of the things that can come up with the ruler of the second and the eighth is like um, financial matters being tied in with other people's finances, mm-hmm. which in Joseph's case had to do with issues of like uh, debt or um, money that was owed to other people and issues with that. But other times it can mean like a partner's finances or if the person is in a relationship, somehow the partner's finances becoming intertwined with theirs. One of the tricky things, since you're only what halfway into the year, is that there's some event that may not have occurred yet or some circumstances that might still be coming up that could be tied into that placement.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so sometimes when doing a consultation with a client, Will sort of walk them back and see if they can remember what happened 12 years earlier or what happened 12 years before that. And sometimes, if you can identify the repetition, you can then anticipate by projecting that out in the future what types of events the person might expect to have come up uh, in the rest of that perfection year.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, true. Thank you. Yeah, a couple other topics could be like taxes or loans or things like that, mortgages. So uh, sometimes it's the case that when a planet or when a house is activated and then the ruler is activated it can point to more than one thing that year. And so one of the things could be, you know, getting the new job, but there could be another like eighth house topic at some point during the year related to the placement. Um, you know, but yeah, so it could just, yeah.
5: Yeah. So I'll still find out, but I, yeah, that was interesting. Thank you. Yeah, You're welcome.
2: Thank you.
0: Um, and lastly, it's also the ruler of the 11th house. So it could be
5: when
1: mm-hmm. the ruler of
0: the year is activated it activates the house that it rules that the perfection has come to but also because that planet rules sometimes two houses it'll activate the other house that it rules as well so it could bring in 11th house topics related to friends or groups or social movements right yeah yeah
2: yeah Have, yeah i was going to say is this the first time you've come to this group this one
5: yeah okay okay great nice
0: <laughs> um and it should be positive but somewhat unexpected because Mercury is squaring Uranus within three degrees, but it has a nice applying trine with reception with Jupiter in a day chart at nine degrees of Scorpio. Mm-hmm. So um, what is the delineation for that? Like positive financial interactions involving friends,
2: Yeah, but, involving- but, that, are,
0: but that are unexpected or potentially disruptive?
2: Mm -hmm. yeah it could be or like if you do is is the new job like a like one one one-on-one type of things or is it like a 40-hour a week thing
5: no it's part-time so I guess that's the the part that's like a little confusing when looking at mine is because I do so many different things that there's different aspects but um it's more Mm one-on-one and it's sort of like opposite everything else I would do because it's more one-on-one slow mellow healing and -hmm. then the other types of things I do is like nightclub packed people crazy you know totally different and then i I go to a lot of social meetups i learn astrology i learn tarot Mm -hmm. i do a lot of things like that so i could see how 11th house would be in there and it could be anywhere Mm -hmm. so yeah
2: well i was wondering because of the 8th house being other people's money and so if it's you know um a square to uranus that can very frequently be like one off you know
1: um, payments I, from
2: other people
5: it's in my seventh house but it's a pisces one degree pisces
2: yeah right? so well, but it would
5: still have eighth house um influence
2: it just depends on what house system you're using so oh, for the okay. purpose of like this for instance we're interpreting it in a sure. whole sign, sign house but yeah so, it could oh, okay. be also relevant I, to the I'm seventh learning, house so
5: I'm, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm trying to figure that okay well, yeah and so that's good to know
2: yeah thank you yeah
0: cool thanks for sharing that yeah thank you all right, um, so yeah, that was another good example. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Great examples so far, thank you all.
0: Does anybody else have any good examples that they feel like sharing with the group at this point? Yeah, you have one? All right,
7: uh, what's your name? Kathy, it's October 3rd, 1958. Danville, Pennsylvania.
1: What uh, time?
0: What time?
7: Oh, 8.25 a.m. That was uh, daylight time. I think And what was the city fires. again?
0: Danville.
1: Danville. It's Montour
7: County. How do you spell that? D A N V I L L E.
0: L L E. Danville, Kentucky?
7: No. Okay. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. It's Montour Pennsylvania. County. It'll so you
2: have 24 Libra rising, correct, Spica.
0: 23? Okay. Um and you so, actually you shared your the an example you were our first one for the eclipses meeting right yes mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that by the way uh, that was like a intense example but I really appreciated that this you... one's not
7: so intense just simple okay. <laughs> simple straightforward no trigger um, warnings yeah okay. when I was twenty I was in a ninth house year of perfections and I graduated college got my degree and then I turned twenty one and. That was a tenth house year, and that's when I started my career. Okay, end of story.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah and it's
2: good. yeah. Thank you. I mean, that's frequently it can be as you know yeah. straightforward as that.
0: Yeah, just simple topics coming up, and sometimes seeing a succession of topics is one of the cool things where you're in one perfection year, and you can kind of see some of the topics associated with that house come up, but then you have your solar return or your birthday, and you move into the next house. And then seeing a shift where suddenly other topics in a different part of your chart are coming up in the adjacent house is sometimes one of the cooler parts of the technique.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, Thanks for sharing that. All right. Um, You have one, Drew?
6: Sure. Okay. What's your birth date? February 18th, 1985. February 18th, 1985. What time? 9.11. 9.11.
2: A.M. or P.M.? I'm
6: just going to talk like this.
2: (laughs) Okay. 9.11 A.M. or P.M.? A.M. Okay.
6: What city? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The pit. Is it
2: 19 Aries Rising?
6: 19 Aries Rising. Okay. Okay. So
0: how old were you for this example?
6: Uh, This example is the now. Okay. okay. <laughs> my current 11th house, I believe it's my 11th house, perfection. This is a new new idea or new teaching for me. So,
2: so you're 34?
6: I am 34 years old.
2: Okay, so okay. that's 11th so house it's here.
0: Activating Aquarius where you've got a stellium of four planets, uh, Jupiter, the moon, Mercury, and the sun. Yes. Okay, and the ruler is Saturn, which is located in Scorpio in the eighth whole sign house in a day chart
6: mm-hmm,
0: okay. okay. So what's going on?
6: Uh, so I see that uh, 11th House is uh, the good spirit of groups, friends, and alliances. And uh, just recently, out of nowhere, I became a producer for TEDx events and uh, am gathering huge groups of people and alliances of people in good spirits. Wow.
0: How did that come about? How, like, how did you fall into that?
6: I got fired.
0: Okay. <laughs> when
6: did that happen? That happened like uh, three or four months ago. Okay. So
0: your birthday was in February. So not long after your birthday, you got fired? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And then you were trying to figure out what to do. And then how did
6: the TEDx thing happen? And then I was approached by TEDx and...
2: Was it like a headhunter thing or did you know someone who knew them?
6: I knew someone that had recommended uh, me to them and then I was approached by them.
2: Okay. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a leading question because oftentimes uh-huh. with 11th house years, there's some connection. There's some social connection. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. right. Yeah.
0: So now you're organizing thing that involves a lot of people, it mm-hmm. involves groups Yes. Um, and is very much more social. So it's yeah. activating that whole stellium part of your chart suddenly and somewhat unexpectedly. Um, it's interesting that this year, especially not long after your birthday is when Uranus moved permanently into Taurus and started squaring that Jupiter placement mm-hmm. that's at two degrees of Aquarius in your 11th house. Um, And also opposing Pluto at four degrees of Scorpio in your eighth house. So on the one hand, there's like an unexpected uh, disruption in your Mm -hmm. life where you got Mm -hmm. fired, uh, where Uranus going through your second house is perhaps uh, interrupting or or causing a disruption in your livelihood and your finances. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then it's also an unexpected change that leads to a more positive development in terms of friends and groups. What was like, why, why did they fire you suddenly? Do you know?
6: You know, it was a personal issue between me and another man there. Okay. Yeah.
0: Got it. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, and so that's been happening since when did you say like April?
6: Uh, like probably three months ago.
0: Okay.
2: Okay. So June-ish. Yeah. yeah. Summer. Sure. Yeah. I'm just
6: trying to think of any transits, any
0: transits or things that are going yeah. on.
2: Yeah, I'd have to look them up. It's interesting that it is activating Jupiter, of course, since you were born during the day. That's mm-hmm. the most positive planet in your chart. And mm. arguably, this is like a really great thing to land for you.
6: Yeah, and it's the Jupiter is conjunct my natal Uranus and Sag. And it did, it doesn't seem like my 11th house has m- much uh, going on in it currently as far as transits. But I, I was noticing that my 6th house is... Uh, full of uh a lot of different actions so i'm wondering if this is going to be a total devastation of an event <laughs> that your sixth house that there's a lot going on with your sixth house with all yeah the planets
2: transiting through virgo
6: um yeah my sixth house of bad fortune seems very active right now with transits <laughs>
1: sure (laughs) i
2: mean it doesn't always have to be so stark as the Uh way that's written up i mean the sixth house also is just you know um daily activity oftentimes when there's transits through the sixth that's like Uh you're just doing like you're doing a lot like every day you're really busy super Um, busy and also with regard to your job oftentimes although sometimes also that plus other things Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah,
0: plus most of the virgo transits are very short interplanet transits that are just um gonna come and go very quickly right now and most Mm -hmm. of that's already ending. I think as of today, Mercury and Venus just moved Mm -hmm. out of Virgo last night.
6: That's great. So
0: some of that's moving on. Um, Some of the career stuff that's happening also is probably tied into Saturn is going through Capricorn, which is your 10th house. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. some of that's related. You have a day chart, so it's like surmountable difficulties. So it's not worst case scenario, but it's like, again, this is a scenario where a not very positive thing happened, a setback happened and that you got fired, but mm-hmm. then you were able to go on and find something better after that. Uh, so that's kind of a very cliche or straightforward, like Saturn day tar- day chart type transit through the definitely. 10th house. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want to point that out just to point out that, you know, perfections is important and it can help you identify some major topics or themes or planets that are activated in a given year. But obviously we still have to take into account other things that are going on in the chart, like, Major outer planet transits like that.
2: Yeah, major transits, eclipses, other timing techniques. So it's not the only thing happening, although it can definitely pinpoint important stuff, as we can see.
1: Mm. Yeah.
6: Right. And that Pluto in that 10th, is Pluto in the 10th house
2: there? Transiting,
1: or transiting the 10th yeah. house. Mm-hmm.
6: What kind of juju is that in that m- mid haven?
2: <laughs> I mean, that sounds like you know what you've already been doing, which is like mm. a major transformation mm-hmm. in like the type of career that you have or the type okay. of role that you have professionally.
0: Yeah, and we're actually getting—we're not too far away from Pluto will eventually ingress into Aquarius, mm-hmm. and that's going to be much more significant. I feel like for you when it goes into mm-hmm. your eleventh house, because then you'll see what Pluto tends to do is exaggerate and magnify things. Mm-hmm. So it will like magnify and blow up if there's themes already going on in that house with respect to friends and groups and uh, organizational efforts. It may magnify that and make it even bigger than it was previously.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: But it's magnifying that good spirit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Pluto potentially, can always... if I have a good spirit.
2: <laughs> this was also the year that you started coming to the group, right? Has that been since your birthday?
6: Um, I think it's been about two years.
2: Oh, okay. Every, every okay. now and then. Was this in, year.
6: That was actually yeah. back probably in this ninth house.
0: Ninth house, yeah,
2: because I remember yeah. the link between your ninth and eleventh being activated. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, uh, thank well you. yeah, that's a good example. Thanks for sharing yeah, that. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> All right. Um were there any new interpretive principles from that that we should like reiterate? Um
2: mm, I don't think so. Okay. I think those were all the same ones.
0: I mean, one of them is just stelliums. Like this is sure. sometimes like if a person has a stellium in a certain house, then pay attention to the perfection year when it comes to that stellium because it's really going to stand out. Yeah. You that's have that. True. Okay. Do you feel like sharing do you have a specific example or just if you don't have a... Okay. It's more something you know that you have, but you're not sure how it works out. Will work out yet? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe afterwards, like, uh, just because we're doing more past examples at the moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, any other examples in the audience? There's one in the back.
0: Hi. What's Hi. your name? Ann. Uh,
2: my birthday is April 9th, 1975.
8: And 1.19 a.m.
2: Did you say 1.19 a.m.? Yeah. Okay. In
8: Boston, Mass.
0: All right. Is your ascendant two degrees of Capricorn?
8: It is, yeah.
0: Okay.
8: Um, I just realized every seventh perfection year has been pretty bad. Mm,
0: every um, seventh house perfection year? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have uh, Capricorn rising, and you have Cancer is your seventh house, seventh whole sign house, and we have Saturn there. Uh, At 12 degrees of cancer and it's a night chart because the sun is below the horizon in the fourth house. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what types of, or take us back, do you want to go back to the earliest one or is there one that stands out, which is a good starting point?
8: Um, At six, my parents got divorced and then at 18, I uh, got dumped by my first boyfriend. And at 30, I had a crazy relationship. And then at 42, I just had some issues with my husband. Okay. Okay. So
0: that's great. Okay. Yeah. No, well, I mean, it's not, not great.
2: It's not. Great, <laughs> it's, not.
0: it's astrology
1: astrologer. <laughs> yeah. Astrologer. Yeah, grade, astrologer. Is, great. Yeah. There's a,
2: hashtag on Twitter that's astrologer good. So like not good examples, but like, wow, that really works. Yeah. Yeah. That's what (laughs) he meant. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, that's actually a really impressive repetition, not just because it's the, um, you know, Saturn being activated every seventh year, but it's also more important for you because Saturn rules your ascendant. Mm -hmm. And so it's a primary placement for you being activated during those years. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, the issues with my
8: husband were around money and Saturn also rules my second your house. second house yeah yes. the second house okay
1: right
0: um, yeah and the ruler of the ascendant the in ancient astrology they called the first house um, the helm like the, the helm or the steering wheel of a ship as if the birth chart was like a boat and that you have like a steering wheel and that's the first house. And that the planet that rules the first house was then said to be the captain or the steersman of the ship. So, you're supposed to pay attention to what house the ruler of the Ascendant is located in because it means that it will often direct the life or that the life is somehow steered towards certain topics based on what house the ruler of the Ascendant is located in. In this instance, it would be topics associated with the seventh house and relationships. Right. so but at the same time, because this is a night chart, we know that Saturn is the most difficult planet and it's located in the seventh house. So sometimes there's challenges or difficulties that arise within that context. Um, however, uh, there's positive mitigating factors. Mm-hmm. One of them is that Jupiter is in Aries and it is uh, in a superior square where it's said to be overcoming Saturn um, by being in the tenth house relative to Saturn and therefore Jupiter, is attempting to and is somewhat successful in making Saturn more positive than it might be otherwise right uh, Venus is doing something similar in that it's in the 11th house relative to Saturn so it's overcoming through a sign based sextile to Saturn which is also offsetting things a little bit And then finally and most importantly um, the ruler of the seventh house. Uh, so remember in the earlier example where we talked about how there was an instance where somebody had a difficult placement in the house, but then the ruler was well placed, and there was a difficult thing initially in the life or in the year, but then later things worked out in a more positive way. Right. Um, in this chart, we have a similar setup where the ruler of the seventh house is the Moon because it's the ruler of Cancer, and it's located at 21 degrees of Pisces in the third house, and it's actually applying to a sextile with Venus. Uh, and Venus is the most positive planet in the chart because this is a night chart. Mm-hmm. So we've got both sort of a very really difficult placement with Saturn in the seventh, but then we have a very positive counterbalancing placement with the ruler of the seventh house.
2: Yeah, that's basically like three counteractions. So that's pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Thank you for so <laughs> that. <Telling me not. laughs>
0: do you mind? So could we walk through it more slowly just to like unpack some of the events that happened? Yeah. Um, just because. Um, sometimes that can give people even though for us like hearing those four years of your life sort of summarized as a sentence was, was sort of interesting for you like actually having lived through that as entire years of your life and defining years of your life, I'm sure it's even more um, evocative and interesting. So um, what was the first one again? So you turned six years old and so that was a seventh house perfection year.
8: Mm-hmm. And um, what
0: happened in that year of your life?
8: Uh, my parents got divorced. My mom left my dad and took us to a different state.
0: Okay. So you're six years old. You're, par- you're living together. You've lived your entire life with your parents being together up to that point. Yeah. And then suddenly your mom uh, leaves your dad and you guys end up relocating to a different state.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. New okay. New
0: and was that like a major event like before you knew anything about astrology or anything else was that would you say that was like a defining event in your life
8: yeah i mean it was how did you bad. experience
0: it at the time uh,
8: just traumatizing you know okay. i was very close to my dad and it was just a bad time mm-hmm.
1: okay
0: yeah. uh, could you stand a little bit closer yeah, to the mic sorry. that's all right um so you took that really hard and that was would you say that that was like a defining event for you in terms of your early childhood like growing up and shaping your personality and views on relationships and other things like that?
8: Uh, Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of fighting. They eventually kind of um, worked it out and my mom ended up moving uh, just a few miles away from my dad. So we were closer and that was like 12 or 13 or 14 maybe. Um, But yeah, it was a number of kind of rough years. Sure.
0: Okay. So that was the first that was your very first seventh house perfection year so that was the first time that that placement was sort of awakened for a year of your life mm-hmm. and then uh 12 years later what was the next one
8: uh my first boyfriend dumped me
0: that was when you were 18 yeah okay
8: yeah.
0: And, so um your delayed. very fir- very first relationship how long had you guys been together
8: uh like two years okay yeah. so it was a
0: long relationship for that early in your life yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um and was it going relatively well for you as far as you knew up to that point
8: um, no, not at the end. We kind kind of were losing touch a little bit. He had gone back. To, it's a long story, but he had gone back to Washington. Okay. Um. So we were kind of fighting and just drifting apart, anyway. Sure. And he was.
2: He was living apart from you. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Because that's another Saturnian type of principle of like separation mm-hmm. and yeah. distance.
0: And then he was the one that uh, decided to end it. Yeah. Okay. How was that hard for you at the time?
2: Yeah,
8: I was supposed to go to college and uh, I delayed it the, f- the first semester, I didn't end up going because um, so, okay. I was upset. So mm. you
0: didn't go to college, you delayed going to college for an entire year due to...
8: Just one semester. The oh, first one semester, semester,
0: due to your reaction yeah. to the breakup of your first major relationship?
8: Yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: so you must have been in like, were you depressed at the time?
8: Yeah, I guess you could say that. Okay. Yeah.
0: Sure. So that was your second seventh house perfection year. And then um, w- what was your next one?
8: Um, at 30, I just got into kind of a crazy relationship with a guy on and off and went on for a couple of years. It's okay. Not very good.
0: <laughs> and that would have been also because around 30, of course, is like the Saturn 17. return. Yeah. So transiting yeah. Saturn would have been coming back and going through Cancer at the time around its natal sign. Right. Which would then emphasize that even more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um
0: what was were there any specifics? Why was that such a crazy relationship or what stands out about it that might be unique compared to like other people's relationships when they were thirty?
8: Uh it it just was very unstable. Okay. Um yeah. sure. he wasn't very nice, I okay. guess you could say.
0: He was like um like mean to you or like harsh or negative?
8: Yeah, kind of, yeah. Okay.
0: All right. Um, so that was 30. And then the most recent one was when?
8: Uh, 42, two years ago.
0: Okay.
8: I don't want to get it too too much, but it, it was around money with my husband specifically. So. Sure.
0: So just difficulties in that year. But then did you end up making it through that okay?
8: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine.
0: So in that instance, it was more of like a temporary challenge or setback that you had to deal with that brought in both the seventh house issues as well as The second house issues of finances, which Saturn also rules, but once it was over. You were able to move on, and it wasn't necessarily something that that stuck with you permanently.
8: Yeah, no, we we worked through it. So it's okay, okay. Now.
0: so that's good to know, and that could be an important principle: is that sometimes when the perfections activate a specific house, the topics associated with that house can become more prominent, but it may not indicate a permanent change in the person's life, but instead more of a temporary or like a transitory activation of of those topics.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome! Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's a really thank good you. example. That's
2: a great repetition.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, so that really demonstrates uh, one of the things that we we're talking about earlier where sometimes there's a repetition of similar themes or topics in 12-year increments, especially if that part of the chart that's activated is like a major part of the person's life. Mm-hmm. Like for example, if it contains a stellium of planets or if the ruler of the ascendant is located there or something like that, um, then those 12-year repetitions are going to be more important and are going to sometimes have more significant overlaps, but it's not always exactly an, an exact repetition of the events, but it's just something in that area of the person's life.
2: Right. Yeah. That was a great example of that kind of thing where it's activating the same themes of, you know, seventh house, one-on-one interactions, partnership, etc. cetera. Um, but, you know, different specifics every time. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting too, that, you know, you had the one um, at age six and that you remembered that because that's often the case with like the first you know round of all the perfections is there will be something but people don't you know may or may not remember later on in their lives but there will be something that evokes the same themes that will come up later in your adult life um, and if you can trace that back sometimes that's kind of fascinating
0: yeah I have to say that's one of the more annoying things about doing consultations is that most people don't remember like early events or sometimes don't remember. Um, their chronology until relatively recently, Mm -hmm. and sometimes there will have been like an important event when a person was younger, but they just won't remember it or they won't be able to narrow down the exact dates. Um, Otherwise, you could identify that. Um, The other scenario is that sometimes a person will not consider that thing to be important because they don't consider it in retrospect to be a defining event in their life when they're older but when they're younger when they actually experienced it it was a much more major event for them at the time relative to being six years old or nine years old or what have you yeah so i remember for example when i first started working out my chronology for annual perfections uh i went into uh i think i was like very young and I went into a tenth house perfection year and I ran for student council president in like elementary school so that was ultimately not a major event that's relevant in my life now uh, as an adult or anything that had any significant impact on that so that if somebody asked me about it I normally wouldn't remember that as as being in any way important but at the time it was very much important and very much uh, was connected with the fact that I was in a 10th house perfection year and very well, uh, symbolized that.
2: Right. So it's always like age appropriate. So sometimes you have to adjust for that in looking back. Um, but the same kind of symbols or the same kind of energies, um, you know, for good or for bad will be, um, you know, played out during those times. And you can kind of see the links over time, you know, over your like 12 year repetitions. If you look back, if you trace things, if you have, records at home or your parents do, it can be kind of interesting to, to trace.
0: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and again, that's one of the w- main ways that you can use this technique for prediction is by identifying repetitions in the person's life. And if there's a perfection here that you're getting ready to go into, um, in addition to just looking at the natal placements and interpreting, attempting to interpret them, the best way to make a prediction about the future is to look at your past because your past... Cr- past trajectory and past history of repetitions can sometimes really help to inform you about what might come up in the future.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll definitely tell you the flavor or the types of themes that'll come up for sure, you know, because of the same house being activated. And then as we mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of looking forward, you can kind of look at the ephemeris or look at your software and see, you know, what are the major transits to or from the ruler of that house for that year? Is that looking more eventful than the past or less eventful?
1: Yeah.
0: So if Jupiter's transiting through the perfected sign, that could offset things and make them more positive, whereas if Saturn's transiting through the perfected sign, it could offset them and make them a little bit more challenging or what have you. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that also applies to the ruler of the house. So if benefics are transiting over the ruler of the house, which is the active, the lord of the year, that's going to make things more positive. If challenging planets are going over the ruler of the year, that's going to make things a little bit more problematic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Does anybody else have another example they want to share? Yeah, you have one. What's your name?
1: Lynette.
0: Uh, What's your birthday?
9: February 7th, 1982. What time? 8.12pm. Now I'm going to test both of you guys. Albuquerque...
2: (laughs) I know how to spell that. <laughs> did I get anywhere close? Oh, I did. I spelled it correctly.
0: Uh 21 Virgo Rising? Yes. Yes. Okay.
9: Um, This is funny because when Anne was just talking about her stuff, I was like, oh, wait, maybe I do have a couple of things. And then when you were just talking about your student council run, mm-hmm. that filled in one of my gaps. So <laughs> um, second house. This year, 37. Okay. Um, I just recently separated from my boyfriend of 14 years, moved out of his house. When I was 25, I moved to Los Angeles for a job and moved out of the rental house that I was living in that was his. (laughs) Um, So while I have fully been able to support myself all of this time, like we were in a long-term committed relationship, so he was helping me out. Um, And then... I don't know about the 13 and 1, but I'm going to throw it out here because those are the ones. When I was 13, I ran for student council vice president and did not win. Okay. <laughs> and then when I was 1, my parents got divorced, which I was actually looking through my um, family records this morning and just saw that. So.
0: Okay. So.
9: I'm going to let you guys put any of that mm-hmm. together. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs>
0: um, so I should have outlined at the beginning what the placements are. So you have Virgo rising mm-hmm. and you have – Mars, Saturn, and Pluto all relatively closely conjunct in Libra all in the second house, Mm -hmm. and it's a night chart. So, the most difficult planet in the chart is in this house, which is Saturn in Libra in a night chart, and then it's complemented by Mars and and Pluto being on either side of it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So, we would expect more challenging matters to come up during second house perfection years. And also since it's the second house, that financial matters would probably be more relevant in those years compared to other years. Mm -hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you said um, with the separation because of course, Mars then rules your eighth house of your partner's money. Mm -hmm. So that's immediately brought into the picture when the second house is activated as well. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, And then the ruler of the second house is Venus, which is located in Capricorn, uh it's retrograde at 23 capricorn and it's actually i think its next aspect must be a square yeah, with saturn, saturn. yeah although with reception yeah it's yeah. a mutual reception with mm-hmm. saturn um in libra so they're exchanging houses they're in each other's house and they're applying to each other so this is both challenging for Venus to some extent, because then it has a square with Saturn, but the square, some of the heat is some of the tension is taken off of it so that there's a potential for a more positive or constructive outcome because there's the mutual reception, which always acts as a mitigating factor. Yeah, definitely. When, when there's a hard aspect between two planets, it's it can be really difficult, like a square, but if it if they're in each other's signs, the square becomes a little softer. Mm-hmm. Um what else? Is relevant here in terms of the specific placements. The only I one I think that... I'm
9: looking forward to thirty-eight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that looks a little bit nicer. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> you move into Scorpio and into a third house perfection year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this year with the separation, when did you separate? June. Okay. So a few months after the perfection year started. And then, so you've just been kind of covering more more financial things or your cost of living has gone, gone up because of the separation? Yeah. I mean, okay. basically
9: I've just been stocking money away. And I mean, we've been just living a shared life and now I'm living a single life. So Right. Right. Yes. So
0: um, like themes of financial independence are yeah. major this year, but also themes about relationships have been a repetition. Mm
1: -hmm. And some of
0: that's honestly probably coming through the fact that it's activating Libra yeah, um, and that it's like Saturn in Libra is part of the delineation so that Venus's significations come into play because Mm -hmm. that's part of the way to interpret what it means for a planet to be in a certain sign of the zodiac is what does it mean for the planet that's in that sign to interact with the ruler of that sign. So it's Saturn interacting with Venus in this instance. Mm-hmm. So the first instance of that when you were one, you said was your parents uh separated?
9: Yeah, they got divorced. They got
2: divorced mm-hmm. in yeah. that year. Okay.
9: Mm-hmm. Which I obviously didn't I actually didn't even realize that until this morning when I was looking at the oh, wow. records. Yeah.
2: That's timely. Yeah. That's why I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> well, and yeah, and that's definitely one of the things we were just talking about. You know, one of those things mm-hmm. that happens early in your life. That will, you know, the kind of theme will continue to be important Mm -hmm. later in your life, and in this case, that Saturn square Venus. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: right. And it's an interesting, just the idea of foreshadowing. Like, there's Mm -hmm. something about that in terms of the philosophy and the way that astrology works, and the idea that events early in our life can sometimes foreshadow events later in our life, and not necessarily be the cause of those events in any direct way, but there just be this. Um, echo or this repetition of certain themes throughout the person's life,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, um, trying to think of, of what else. Do you mm. have any questions about
1: that? No, no, I
9: might when I think about this when I get home. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> thank you, yeah, thank you. Yeah, That's thank a great you. example.
0: All right, um, so does anybody have any general questions about the technique? At this point about annual perfections or how to apply it or things that don't make sense or anything, pretty much anything? Uh, Cordelia? So, your question, just to repeat it for the recording, was what might you look for if there's no planets in the house or in the sign um, in order to figure out what the theme is going to be?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. I would start with just um, the topics associated with the house. So, if it's like a ninth house perfection year, thinking of ninth house topics like education, travel, foreigners, religion, etc. Mm-hmm. So, topics of the house and then um, look to the ruler of the house. What is the nature of that planet? Is it benefic or a malefic? Um, is it well-placed by zodiacal sign? And what are the topics associated with the house that it's located in?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And then finally, what is its condition in the chart? Is it um, afflicted through hard aspects with difficult planets like squares or oppositions or conjunctions with Mars or Saturn? Or does it have uh, positive conditions of the opposite, which is called bonification, where it has uh, conjunctions or sextiles or trines with benefic planets like Venus or Jupiter, which are going to be more positive or affirming? Um, So that's kind of the sequence I would go through. And then the very last one would be um, are there any major transits going through the perfected house, especially slow outer planet transits that year, because that's really going to color the nature of your experience of that house in that year? Mm-hmm. Um, or finally, if there, if that's not happening, are there any major transits, especially slow outer planet ones, to the ruler of the house in that year, because that's then going to color uh, the experience of the year as well? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I would say all of those things plus you know, look back in 12-year increments to see what happened during that year of your life to see if you can see any clues, and especially with regard to the connection between that perfected house and the house that the ruler is placed in. Try to see if you can trace any any of the kind of keyword connections between those two because that's typically what should be activated.
0: Yeah. All right. Does that answer your question? Okay.
2: There's another uh, no question here?
7: Yeah, go ahead. I find this very interesting. I didn't know anything about it. Thank Mm -hmm. you both very much. Uh, I have been an astrologer for many years. And my question is, do you integrate your technique with transits, progressions, solar returns, any of those or none of those?
0: Sure. So we definitely primarily integrate this technique with transits. And it's actually really useful for that because sometimes it can tell you, There's an issue that astrologers sometimes have where you see a bunch of transits happening um, and you see an important transit come up, but then it comes and goes and either there isn't a major event that happens or it happens in a much different area of the life than you expect. And usually the reason for that is perfections because perfections can help you narrow down which transits are going to be more important in a given year. Um, Ah. So, it can become a filtering factor to help you uh, identify ahead of time which transits to pay attention to and which transits maybe won't be as important in a given year.
7: That's very helpful because that often happens. Right. So, I'll try this.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, that's a major thing. Um, I don't usually use it together with um, progressions or solar arcs, do you? Solar returns, I meant. So solar returns—that's definitely one. Even though I don't use solar returns as much at this point, um, I know a lot of astrologers do use uh, perfections together with solar returns in order to help identify what parts of the solar return chart are going to be more important. So they'll pay more attention to the lord of the year and what its placement and condition is in the solar return chart in order to again filter or identify um, things that are more crucial in the solar return chart versus things that are less less crucial.
7: Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot to try now. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Nice meeting you all.
2: Yeah, you too. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Was there another? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so when
5: you're, sorry. <laughs> so what are things to look for or learn about the Lord of the Year when you're like, it's overall, to see when you said the condition of the Lord of the Year. Mm-hmm. So is that like, whether it's in its detriment or how it's doing or what would you look for when you're trying to consider
0: the Lord of the Year, or the. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole, um, like, a laundry list of things that I would go through. But the first thing is the zodiacal placement of what sign of the zodiac is the Lord of the Year in? And is that a sign that it has some rulership over, or that it's traditionally thought to do well in? Or is it a sign that it um, is traditionally thought to have some difficulty doing well in? So um, this is the difference between a planet being in its own, what's called its domicile or its exaltation versus a planet being in the sign of its uh, detriment or its fall. So that's definitely a good starting point is like the, the, the quote unquote or the so-called essential dignities. Mm-hmm. Um, but then other factors are Uh, What house is it placed in, and is it located in a house that tends to be more positive or tends to have more positive significations, or is it located in a house that tends to have more challenging significations? So generally speaking, uh, the more challenging houses are the 6th, the 8th, and the 12th, and the more positive houses are pretty much most of the rest of the houses, like the 5th house or the 11th house or the 10th house. Mm -hmm. So if your planet is located in a difficult house, it might bring up more challenging topics in that year. Whereas if it's located in one of the more positive houses, it might be a little bit easier to deal with. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some other factors?
2: Um, If the ruler itself is ruled by a benefic or malefic, that can color things. So is it ruled by Jupiter or Venus? Is the sign that the ruler is in ruled by one of those two? Or is it ruled by Mars or Saturn? um particularly bisect so mars being the more challenging one at during the day um, if it's a day chart and saturn at night and then whether the ruler is like in a major aspect with any of those four planets
0: yeah so does it have positive aspects w- like sextiles and trines with the benefics venus and jupiter or does it have challenging aspects like squares or oppositions with the more challenging planets like mars or saturn that uh, has a major impact on the condition of the ruler. Mm-hmm. Um, also, is it retrograde or is it direct? Uh, mm-hmm. It's better if it's direct. If it's retrograde, there may be some delays or some snafus in the manifestation of the planet's significations mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: and a bunch of different stuff. So, a lot of this for planetary condition, I actually so I have a bunch of free copies of my book on the back table, and I hope everybody. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have a copy takes one because I'm trying to get rid of those. Those are like misprinted copies that are slightly misaligned, but they're otherwise perfectly readable. And instead of throwing them away or recycling them, I wanted to just give them away so that everybody that doesn't have the book yet can get a copy. And there's a chapter in my book on the conditions of bonification and maltreatment that goes through seven, uh, a checklist of seven conditions that you need to pay attention to to determine if a planet is well placed. Or is poorly placed in a chart. And I think that's like chapter, I don't know, 10 or 13 or something in the book.
1: I can't tell you. Okay. Um,
0: Yeah, but the book is titled Hellenistic Astrology, the City of Fate and Fortune. And I hope everybody takes a copy from the back table if you don't have one already.
6: All right. Was there another question, Drew? Say a child comes up to you and asks what the house system is, how would you. Explain that to them. What the
0: house system is or what the ho- what houses are both.
2: Are you saying like what the whole sign system is or what houses?
6: if a child wants to, to understand what the houses are, what, what, what would you say to them?
2: Just areas of life.
6: We would
0: say, I mean, if we're approaching it from the house system that we're using with whole sign houses, we would say that, um, when, when you were born, the moment you were born, there was a sign of the zodiac that was rising over the eastern horizon at that moment. And that, that sign, whatever it was, becomes the first sector of your life indicating certain topics that are associated with you um, at the moment of birth. And then there were 12 signs of the zodiac in a circle from that point, and each of them was numbered. Uh, going counterclockwise. So one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 12. And that each of these 12, it creates 12 sectors of your chart, of your birth chart, and 12 sectors of your life that indicate different topics and different areas of your life. Um, And the placement of the planets in those areas of the chart indicate how those topics will go for better or worse. I don't know if that's like a sufficiently like explain it like (laughs) I'm
6: five.
2: Yeah, I was going to say it depends on the age of the child.
6: (laughs) Okay, Uh, Let's say 10 years
7: old. (laughs) Uh,
2: No, I mean, yeah, I think that's more or less what you would say, you know, and vary the vocabulary, but it's just different areas of your life. Mm.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, that the 12 um, areas of 12 houses indicate sectors of the birth chart that indicate areas of a person's life. Thank you. All right. Does anybody else have any quest- other questions about annual perfections or anything that we've talked about related to this technique? Yeah. Sure. How do we deal with retrograde planets?
2: Do you mean um, retrograde planets as the lord of the year, or retrograde transiting planets triggering something? I, That's the ruler of the house, yeah. Ruler of the perfected house. Uh, I would say in general, retrograde Venus or
7: retrograde anything. uh, Generally, you know, I understand how they work, but with your system, Mm -hmm. how would you integrate that into this? Even though it's simplified a lot, that's, um, it it really is, you have to really think about it. And
1: so what about Mm -hmm. retrograde?
0: Sure, Retrogrades are really important and perfections become a useful tool for accessing what retrograde planets do, especially by transit. And there's two major ways that that happens when you're using perfections. So one of the ways that that happens is that um, when you look up in the sky, what a retrograde is is the planet slows down, it's moving forward through the signs of the zodiac in zodiacal order through its normal movement. But then at a certain point, it will slow down and stop moving through the zodiac and stop in the middle of the sky, and it will start moving backwards uh, against the order of the signs of the zodiac until eventually at some point later, it slows down again and reverses course once more and begins moving forward again. So the two most important points in that cycle are the points where it stops in stations retrograde, and then eventually the point where it stops in stations direct. So those usually occur on specific dates during the course of the year. And um, those two dates when the planet start, start, stops in stations retrograde and then um, ends its retrograde cycle, if the planet is the lord of the year is activated by annual perfection that year, then those, will be, those two dates will be two of the most important dates around that time that are turning points in that year. So for example, um, everybody has the experience where sometimes you have a, a mercury retrograde that happens in the sky and it's just a cliche mercury retrograde where your car breaks and you have like a miscommunication with a friend or your wallet gets stolen and you lose some money or something like that during that three-week mercury retrograde period, typically um, it's the years in which Mercury is activated as the lord of the year and then goes retrograde that the retrograde period is more important for you personally. Whereas if there's a Mercury retrograde in the sky and Mercury is not the lord of the year for you, it may come and go without anything major happening. Mm -hmm. So basically pay attention to when you identify the lord of the year in a given year, uh, look in the ephemeris and see if that planet will go retrograde at some point during the year. Because if it does, that's going to be Uh, the more important part of the year that you should focus on.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've noticed that in particular with the Venus retrogrades and Mars retrogrades, if Venus or Mars is the Lord of the year, because they don't go retrograde all of the time. Like Mercury is quite frequent. And then the ones beyond Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and so forth, are um, infrequent, but Venus and Mars are kind of in between. And so, it's, you know, they don't go retrograde every year, much less like several times a year. So it's sort of more notable if you're like in a Venus perfected year and then Venus goes retrograde, that period of time will really trigger. It's kind of like a super transit. Yeah. Right. And it, yeah, you're welcome.
0: Yeah. So that's one way that you can use perfections to deal with retrogrades and figure out which retrogrades are going to be important and which are not. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Any more questions as we're getting towards the end of this and getting ready to wrap things up? No? Okay. Uh, Does anybody have one last chart example to share before we're done for the day? No? All right. It looks like um, that's it then. So yeah, okay. Uh, So let's see. Uh, annual perfection. So this is just a quick introduction, obviously. Like I said, uh, my book, it actually has a chapter that one of the last chapters of the book is on annual perfections if you want to learn more about this technique. Um, I also have a nine-hour lecture on annual perfections where I use over 100 example charts to really get into the details of how to use the technique. Uh, And that's in my course on Hellenistic astrology, which is available at astrologyschool.com. Um, you have a lecture on repetitions in annual perfections, right?
2: hmm Yeah, I do. So the 12-year repetition and just like lots of examples of how that works out in specific people's charts.
0: Okay. And that's on your website, lisashime.com. Yes. Um, and I think that's it. Otherwise, are there any other resources for studying annual perfections? Mm,
2: I do consultations and talk about perfections quite a lot with people.
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and if anybody has any other, I may re- release this um, at some point, there's a podcast episode, and if anybody has any other examples, please feel free to write to us, and maybe we could do some sort of study group or another work session in order to get further into the technique and share some more example charts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cool.
2: And yeah, Thank you so much for all the people that volunteered your examples. Those were really great.
0: Yeah, those are some great examples, yeah. and I feel like we really learned some stuff, um, you know, not just with like the positive events, but also sometimes with the challenging events because... Uh, while we can learn techniques like this abstractly, like I said, it's not until you actually hear somebody's lived experience, or until especially you go through certain perfection years and you have that sort of visceral experience of what it's like to have a certain house activated. That's where some of the real learning and sort of the the wisdom, but also the empathy. I think one of the things about studying techniques like this is it can help you to develop a level of empathy and understand where people are coming from in terms of different parts of their life. And um, how to relate to that, uh, perhaps in a different way that you might not otherwise.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, and then finally, again, it's just a demonstration of some of the cool things that you can do with astrology and how astrology can be useful as a tool for prediction and timing. And that while it's good and useful for for psychology and counseling and psychological analysis. Um, you can also use it in order to anticipate events coming up in the future. And that sometimes itself can then tie back into the counseling and the psychology, um, because then if you can anticipate ideas and events coming up in the future, it can help you to better um, help and talk to a person who's seeking advice and counsel. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's it for this meeting of the Denver Astrology Group. So thanks everybody for coming, and hopefully we'll see you again next month for our meeting in October with Leah Samuels on the Black Moon Lilith. All right.
2: thank you.
0: All right, that was a great meeting. So uh, yeah, that's the end of the meeting.
2: Mm-hmm. We're back here now.
0: Yeah. So that was a lively meeting. And uh, there was a lot going on actually in the environment that kind of initially threw some things off, or there's a lot of like lo- loud noises.
2: Yeah, there was like a street band, like a festival going on outside, which we knew when we arrived. And then there was like a protest that like the entire group came in like five minutes before we started right. <laughs> on the other side of the building. So there's a lot going on. It's very lively when you deal with live meetings.
0: Yeah. Um, but I think most of that's probably going to be edited out and will probably sound a lot better than it did at the time live, hopefully uh, due to the heroic efforts of our Audio and video editor Steven. So shout out to Steven for salvaging this episode for us. Yes, thank you.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Uh and let's see, what else? So there are a lot of great examples that we went through. I mm-hmm. think it really worked out well in terms of you never know what you're gonna get. And that's one of the things I like to plan things ahead of time. And that's one of the things that makes me nervous about these types of meetings is There could be a lot of great examples or there could be just like nobody volunteers at all. Yeah, Uh, It's a really wild card, but it worked out really well this time and I think it showed a lot of the different um, facets of the technique that we're able to touch on when relevant in different examples. And a lot of those things would be things that I normally would teach in different parts of like my nine-hour perfections lecture but we just happened to get a nice array of most of them just randomly through the examples that came through.
2: Yeah, I was really impressed by the examples that came in and how spot on they were and how we were able to kind of like unpack them in more detail and so forth. Right. Yeah.
0: Um. So obviously we pulled in a lot of different concepts, like we jumped right into like the rulers of the houses and what happens when the ruler of one house is in the perfected sign mm-hmm. or when the uh, perfected ruler when it rules two houses and how that brings in the topics of those houses and a bunch of different stuff. Right. So um, most of that is stuff. Some of it's going to be in the previous episode on annual perfections that was like a little lecture on that topic that I think it was two hours long. Uh, there's more that's in my book. One of the last chapters of the book was on annual perfections. And then uh, finally, most of my actual teachings on all of this where I teach all of the d- details are in my uh, full course on Hellenistic astrology that's available at theastrologyschool.com. So if there's a lot of stuff that went by too quickly or you felt like you wish that we had dealt with it in more detail like sect or rulerships or the bonification and maltreatment conditions, then that's basically where to find more information about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Um, one of the things that was interesting is there was uh, one person at least at the end of the meeting that said that they had some good examples of perfections as they were sitting there listening to the other examples, but they didn't necessarily feel like sharing it publicly with like the entire world, which is really understandable, and that's an important point here in terms of, you know, the people that did feel comfortable sharing their charts publicly versus uh, there probably were it probably wasn't just that one person. There's probably more people than that that had good examples, but sometimes it can you know, be referring to really private or or sensitive or just parts of our life that we don't necessarily want to like put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something obviously that also comes up in consultations from time to time as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, people aren't always um, ready to just jump right into their personal life if you don't really know them personally. And so that is one thing to keep in mind when we're talking about these kind of illustrations is um it is impressive how many good examples there were given that you know even like some challenging things um but yeah not everyone is going to be willing to do that for like a worldwide audience
0: Yeah definitely um which actually it brings up like a um flashback of a difficult memory for me of I once participated in a panel at like a astrology conference where uh, there was like four or five astrologers, and we all agreed to read one person's chart without knowing anything about them. And then they were supposed to tell us afterwards, like which of us did the best job or got closest to the right in terms of the, the detail of the information. And at the end, the person like got up, and they they were like, "Yeah, that was pretty good," and that was it. And they wouldn't confirm like anything about their life. But later, it it turned out that um, a number of the things that some of us had said were spot on, but it was just hitting on a, a part of the person's life that was very difficult. And they didn't, when they got up there at the end in front of the entire conference, feel comfortable sharing when put on the spot. So it kind of you was like a major flaw in that whole idea of like, let's read somebody's mm. chart,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, which turned out to be kind of a dumb idea in that instance. But you never know because it really varies. Depending on the chart and depending on the circumstances of the person's life.
2: Yeah. Some people are like an open book. They don't care who knows anything. And some people are very much the opposite. Right. So you got to choose, you know, for public audience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, also sometimes difficult even in consultations. As I've talked about before, I think Dennis Harness and I, in an episode last year on different client styles and different consultation styles, talked about sometimes you'll have a client that's very open and very forthcoming and talking about the details of their life, but other times they might be more closed off and like not comfortable even if you're saying something that's correct necessarily telling you or affirming that or going into detail about that mm-hmm. and that can be one of the tricky parts even of just reading somebody's chart in general.
2: Yeah, definitely. I was thinking recently that um it's good for all practicing astrologers to be on the other side of the table once in a while even if it's for like a different modality, mm-hmm. you know, not astrology but just to remind yourself like what it feels like to be a client and what kind of space that puts you in.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And also to To get consultations or readings with different astrologers. And that's actually probably one of the reasons I wanted to release this episode um, because it kind of demonstrates a little bit of our unique, somewhat unique approach to astrology, which is this blend of Hellenistic, traditional Hellenistic, or ancient Greco Roman astrological techniques and some modern techniques as well. Mm -hmm. um, And the way that we approach doing consultations. And that approach is, even though that's natural and just normal to us cuz that's our approach it is probably different um compared to some other approaches so it gives you some insight into how we actually read charts mm
2: mm-hmm, definitely
0: yeah but that's something you can get partially by going to different astrologers and getting chart readings and that's a good process both as a student or as a practitioner just to get that experience of how different astrologers read charts
5: right yeah
0: yeah so obviously this isn't like comprehensive in terms of that but no. it just gives you a sample of some of the techniques we pay attention to, and some of the things that we would start to take into account in the process of a consultation
1: mm-hmm.
0: all right, um let's see additionally, we have to have an ad- there's an addendum actually to the first chart example, which is really funny because everything went relatively smoothly in terms of all the examples we got and the nice distribution and everything, but one major oversight that I know we noticed immediately, and I'm sure the audience probably noticed is just that in the very first chart example, the main thing we had introduced, almost the only thing we had introduced at that point was when the perfection comes to a house, Sometimes, the, oftentimes the topics associated with that house will become more prominent in that year. Right. And the very first chart example from Joseph, a local astrologer Joseph, was that he was in currently, he was like six months into a seventh house perfection year. Mm-hmm. And the seventh house is usually associated with relationships. But right. then Um, the things that he was associating with it with, he immediately jumped to other things that were connected with that, like the fact that the ruler of the 7th house was in the 8th house, Mm -hmm. and it was also like the ruler of the 2nd house, and how that was bringing into play a bunch of financial um, issues that he was running into in his life at that time, as well as uh, recently getting in a car accident with a natal Mercury-Mars square being activated um, based on Mars being activated at that time.
2: Exactly. And so he already knew perfections. And so he was just kind of jumping to like more advanced pieces of it.
0: Right. Yeah. So, but then we didn't slow down. And normally we would have stopped and asked at one point, like, because we meant to move on because we felt like we were spending a lot of time on it and needed to jump to other examples, but meant to ask him, like, well, is there anything going on in terms of the seventh house and Mm -hmm. in terms of relationships in your life? And after the meeting, um, we talked to him for a few minutes, and he came up and said hi, and he was there with uh, a guy that we didn't recognize that he'd never been to the meeting with before. And so I texted him later, a few days later, and I said, "You know, hey, is there anything going on? Was that your partner? Are you in a new relationship suddenly? Because I, I knew he hadn't been for a little while. And he said, um, yeah, that there was something going on and that um, this seemed to be a new relationship that had formed just in the past few weeks. And if it turned into a major relationship, then it would be the first major relationship that he's had in five years. Mm-hmm. And so that would be starting during this seventh house perfection year.
2: Right. Yeah. And that's definitely something that I noticed and I like had an instinct to stop for a moment and be like, what about relationships? But you never know because if someone's not volunteering that information and it's, it's in a public venue, you don't right. want to like hit on like a sore spot or something like in front of everyone. Yeah, and you know, and so, and I didn't know if that was like he wasn't talking about it because he was with that guy right there, and you know, and so.
0: Well, it also would have been like an awkward thing to say to them, like <laughs> focus on yeah, if they're if it's still relative, like early in the relationship, right. and it's like yes, <laughs> so like
2: so, is that you right there? <laughs>
0: right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know you you kind of have to like judge these in the moment when you're doing it in a public venue,
0: yeah. um, so that brings up two related points, which is one, sometimes, especially, and this is hard, especially because that was the other thing about his example, is that it wasn't a past example. It was like his current perfection year that he only started earlier this year in like February or March or mm-hmm. something, right? Yeah, so it was only halfway through it. And that's one of the issues, not just with this technique, but other timing techniques, like zodiac releasing, which is like if the person is right in the middle of it. Or has just started it, the event may not have happened yet or it may still be in the process of developing to the point where they may not recognize mm-hmm. that it's happened or it's in the process of happening yet. And that's something mm-hmm. I really frequently run into even myself is like seeing an astrological timing thing coming up, um, having it hit exactly in the time period, and then having some like super what I think of at the time is a super minor not significant event happen that like correlates with it in terms of the quality or the meaning and I'm like yeah okay that's accurate I guess but that doesn't seem like a big deal so that's kind of a kind of a bummer kind of unimpressive but then with t- the passage of time eventually realizing that that m- what seemed like a minor thing at the time got more and more important and turned out to be much more significant in retrospect than I realized in the moment when it first started
2: yeah, definitely there's like two things there. There's like identifying what's actually happened or even you know, has it happened yet? You know, and then um recognizing or having enough perspective, big picture perspective to see its importance. And you can't always when you're right in the middle of something.
0: Right. I mean, cuz that's happened I don't know, that's happened a ton of times. That's happened mm-hmm. with like injuries like I've had. I had a year where I think it was like the sun was activated as the lord of the year and like Mars Transited through my first house and it squared the sun. And I like went to a a new gym and like used a machine I hadn't used before and like pulled something in my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And like in the next day or two, I was sort of like, okay, well, I got off kind of easy if that was the case. But then over the course of the next week, it turned into like a major injury that got worse and worse to the point where I had to like stop going to the gym for months and was in like recovery for like a long time from what turned out to be a major injury that at the time, even within a day or two of it happening, I didn't recognize as being like super significant.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I remember all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, do you Have you had anything like that that you remember offhand?
2: Um, I can't think of any of my own right at this moment, but I know I've had some recent ones with consultations where um, people have just finished a loosing of the bond. And um it's still not they can report what happened, but I'm I'm sometimes the one zeroing in on like that's probably actually more important than you think it is so far. And and then they'll tell me like a year later, like it was actually in fact a very major and you know, major turning point. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um so sometimes I mean one of the lessons of that, and it's something that Robert Zoller used to tell me, Zoller used to cause he used to say it in a really over top over the top manner where he'd say the astrology is always right. Hmm. He would say it differently than that. I'm not getting it right at the moment, but his basic point was that the astrology is always right, mm-hmm. and sometimes, even if you don't think it's right or you don't recognize how it's right, sometimes it's right nonetheless, and you will only realize that later in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some deeper sort of issue or like wisdom there that is is probably important to recognize on
2: some level. Sure. Yeah, and you can't be a jerk about it in terms of saying the person can't self-report correctly, but right. still if you're uh another person outside of them, you know, you can help kind of like zero in on like what they might be not thinking as um as fully important as it actually is or, you know, asking questions about blind spots.
0: Yeah, figuring out that balance between like the astrology being right and that sort of perspective versus like testing the astrology and trying to figure out what's accurate and what's not and Mm -hmm. and whether a technique is working or whether it needs refinement or whether it's just not a technique that you think works at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some sort of balance there, but that repeated lesson of just sometimes seeing something come and go and not thinking it was that significant, but then in retrospect, it turning out to be major just like the astrology seemed to be indicating. Was sort of is sort of an important reoccurring lesson that I'm still getting used to.
2: Mm-hmm, definitely, I agree.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, so, any other thoughts on annual perfections or the chart examples or the Denver Astrology Group as we wrap up uh, this episode?
2: Um, we didn't even get into like really advanced perfections. And there's, of course, other things you can do with it. If you do listen to the other full lecture, you'll get some of that, right?
1: Was that in Yeah. There? I haven't,
0: we didn't talk about perfecting from the sect light. Yeah. We didn't perfect from any of the houses right. or topical matters or right. planets. Um, so there's actually a ton of other advanced sort of things in perfections that we left out and didn't get into because it would have been too much because mm-hmm. we knew that at least like half the audience probably, this was their first introduction to perfection. So we weren't Mm -hmm. trying to go too crazy.
2: Yeah. So if anyone's watching or listening and you do know perfections, you might see things that we could have like further developed by using those advanced techniques. Um, But that's kind of why we didn't, you know, go further.
0: Yeah. Or even by casting the chart and looking at the transits at the Mm -hmm. times of the events, that was a major piece that we sort of more or less left out as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to do in what, an hour and 45 or so?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's it then for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks for leading that episode with me. Of course. For that discussion. Uh, yeah. Thanks to everybody at the Denver Astrology Group for attending. Thanks to Marilyn uh, McGinnity from the. Mur- am I spelling your name correctly? I'm not
2: sure.
0: McGinnity. Wait,
2: just say Marilyn. Mar-
0: Mar- <laughs> we always just say Marilyn. Marilyn from the Mercury We're not really Cafe. <laughs> on a, yeah. uh, thanks to Marilyn from the Mercury Cafe for hosting our group for over 10, 10 years, 11 years now, mm-hmm. yeah. starting in uh, May of 2008. Um, under an awesome electional chart that I picked mm-hmm. out. So,
2: you chose. <laughs>
0: um, so that's been amazing. Thanks to Marilyn at the Merka Cafe, everyone with the Denver Astrology Group. And thanks also to all of our supporters um, who support the podcast through Patreon. Um, it's only through your support that I've been able to get some of the like cameras and the audio equipment and microphones that have been necessary in order to record these episodes or in order to record them in as high of quality as I'm able to and I keep trying to push the limits and, and sort of improve on that each time. Um, also, that helps us to be able to pay uh, you know, Steven in order to edit the audio and the video each time in order to clean up the audio and make it better than just the raw recording. Uh, so yeah, so thanks to everybody on patreon.com who supports the astrology podcast and in turn gets access to benefits like early access to new episodes, uh, private podcast episodes, higher quality recordings, and other Bonus stuff like that. So, you can find out more information if you go to patreon.com and search for the astrology podcast about some of the different things we offer there. Uh, Finally, thanks to uh, there's a few supporters that we have to give a specific uh, shout out to who are on our new um, producers tier. So, thanks to patrons Christine Stone and Nate Craddock for signing up for the producers tier. And also thanks to the Astrology Gold astrology app or Astro Gold astrology app, which is available at astrogold.io. I know that's the app that both Lisa and I use on our phones to look up charts really quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And thanks also to the Portland School of Astrology, which teaches astrology both online and in person in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, So you can find out more information about them at portlandastrology.org. All right, that's it for this episode. So thanks everyone for watching or listening and we'll see you next time.
2: See you next time.